With the inception and traction that blockchain and crypto has gathered, the world is possibly on the verge of the largest evolution since the mainstream of the internet. Given the fluidity and dynamic nature of this technology, business leaders, enthusiasts, and veterans all need to band together to navigate the current and upcoming storms. Participants in Web 3.0 want a trusted resource that gives them pertinent information about projects, tokens, technology, and businesses. We are business people talking the business of crypto. We are Y Whales. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, Y Whales, wherever in the world you are. Uh, today's an awesome uh, just kind of interview. We got Brian here from, from Excelsior, and, and, and we're going to talk here in a second, but I want to take a, a step back, and we're really about um, probably about a couple weeks away from the ETH merge. Um, the markets are, you know, every day I wake up, it's down, then it's up, and then it's back and forth, and, and there's a lot of FUD and, and kind of things going on right now. And so from, from a perspective of a, of a VC like Brian, I'm really interested to hear kind of the theses because... There's some amazing projects and amazing teams that are 100% relying on, does this work? And if it does work, that's great. But what are, what are kind of some of the failure points that are, that are happening, you know, almost in the, the PR aspects? Because after the merge, you're going to have ETH, you're going to have ETH2, you're going to have ETH proof of work, ETH classic. Um, and so we're really, you know, kind of seeing the failures of some decentralized teams to control their own PR and their own branding and names, which is something that would never happen. You, you know, there's Coke, there's Coke classic, there's, you know, Coke zero, but they all lead back to a single organization. And now all of a sudden we have this chaos going on. So with, with that, and we'll dive into that more later, I, Brian, would you love, like to take a second and just kind of talk about where you came from and, and how you got here today? Yeah, absolutely. And Jay, thanks so much for having me on. Thanks for all you do, educating um, the community with all, all these things. It's incredible what you and your team pull off, um, especially with Mia in Nashville. She's been tremendous. And uh, it's fun to have somebody in my own backyard who I can lean on to ask questions when I don't know anything. Um, so I am Brian Adams. I'm the principal and founder of Excelsior Capital. Um, I'm from New York originally, hence the name Excelsior. It's the state motto of New York ever upward. Um, I uh, went to college in Connecticut where I met my wife, who is from Nashville. So uh, we did the Northeast thing for a little bit. We both went to graduate school in Boston and then moved to Nashville about 15 years ago. Like every Nashville woman, she uh, wanted to move back home. And um, so we did. And it's been great. Um, I got into real estate. I'm a recovering attorney, but my wife's family has a family office based here in Tennessee, which has invested in private equity, venture capital, and commercial real estate for the last 25, 30 years. So when I joined the family board as an ex-officio member, I started getting exposure to all these private investments we were making and learned from my father-in-law and our CIO and some of the sponsors and GPs that we had relationships with about this whole other world. I became enamored with real estate as an investment, as an asset class, and um, began my entrepreneurial journey about 11 years ago in the real estate business. That's amazing. You know, and, and coming from, the, it's a very, you know, kind of diverse background in a variety of ways because as a recovering lawyer, um, you, you you see things differently. Um, for the rest of us, like it's a pain in the you-know-what to, to read all these disclosures and terms and conditions and the thing. But in your mind, you're, you're hardwired uh, to look at these. And and, it, and so I'm always really curious, especially in an asset class like Web3, cryptocurrency, blockchain, and everything else, the, the rules haven't been set. <laughs> the the case law is is not not in any way, shape, or form there. How have you you know kind of taken an approach of of entering this this asset class um, with that mentality? Like, is it is it frustrating for you, and do you, or do you kind of see some pitfalls of others that may not? It's really frustrating, and I'm sure we'll get into this later. But um, the biggest challenge for me, and again, I'm a novice in this space, but. The lack of, of regulatory leadership, right? I mean, Washington or even on a state level, nobody seems to be taking control of the narrative and even not trying to educate themselves about what's happening in this space. And as somebody who comes from real estate, which is the oldest asset class in the world, which America and our entire credit system is based on the fact that we can own real assets in fee simple, right, outright, it's the basis for our economy in many ways. Um, it's, it's terribly frustrating and, and frankly scary to go into an asset class in an industry which there's no written rules. It is truly the Wild West. And um, it's very hard for someone like me to get comfortable 
um, investing or just even understanding what the future will hold because it's so 180 degrees opposite from what real estate is. You know, I think one of the the points that, you know, again, just to to hit on is I always like to compare web one to web three because web two is an entire, it's just, it's its own little thing. It's an evolution of web one. You know, web three is going to dynamically change everything because the ability to have true ownership online um, that's verifiable and and, there's consensus that this is real and exists uh, is going to touch every single thing that, that, you know, from not just currency, but assets, your identity, you name it. Um, but but going way back to to Web One, which you you know I'm not gonna I'm not gonna date you here, but you know you, you were around and you saw it. Um, the United States and and most of the agencies with open arms welcomed and gave you know sweeping you know just passes on so many things. Like for for over a decade, um, there was no sales tax online. They you could ship anything you wanted, and they purposely were saying no. If it's online, it's not there. Now today they've they've caught up and have made it happen. But would that asset class have ever existed? Um, would we have ever gotten an Amazon? Would we have ever gotten a lot of the e-commerce that we have today? Uh, if they'd started off by saying, not only are we going to tax you, we're going to tax you, tax you more aggressively than anyone there in town. I mean, it, it would have killed you know any innovation right off the bat. And if you if you continue on with this real estate Web three kind of crypto analogy a step further, I think based on what I read and consume, it's kind of us versus them mentality of these these entrepreneurs within this space. You know, some welcome regulation, but but many don't because they think it will inhibit entrepreneurship and innovation. But if you look at commercial real estate, which has been around in America for 250, 300 years, it's well settled doctrine. It's 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 regulated. A lot of people participate in it. But if you look on LinkedIn, there's a real estate entrepreneur being born every ten minutes. It's not like you can have. It's not. It's not binary where one or the other has to occur, they can coexist if enough people kind of understand it. And I think that's just the basic challenge is these folks who, you know, theoretically are going to be regulated, they have no true understanding of the asset class. Yeah, and I think that also showcases just how early we are, Brian. I mean, it's um, everything's being driven right now by the code. You know, there it's can't it's it's a lot of the Napsters. Like, is it even possible to do? Because you know, it's it's so new and the the technology evolves. Um, you know, NFTs are what you know, like less than less than thirty months old uh, at this point. So I mean, it's a very very new technology and lots of things happening. Um, but but you know, honestly, I, I, mean, I let's have a conversation about the tokenization of real estate. Um, and let's start with kind of Excelsior, what you guys are doing. And, and your your kind of investment thesis around there, and let's and then let's uh, let's just get into what what we're going to see over the next decade plus, um, and, and if the asset class is allowed to grow as it should. Yeah, so maybe I'll give some context. I'll give you kind of a, a snapshot of who we are, what we do, which will inform the conversation and the other questions you had. So we're what's referred to in the industry as a fundless sponsor, a syndicator. So we raise money on a deal by deal basis, which means we don't have a fund. There's no blind pool. We go out to our investor community with a specific property and people invest in just that one particular asset in Dallas or Houston or Florida, etc. There's no exposure to others. And our community of investors are high net worth individuals and families. So they're private accredited investors. So no institutional people. And we have been doing this for a long time. And it's interesting to your other questions about um, you know, how blockchain is disintermediating the industry you know, the potentially creating kind of a secondary marketplace for liquidity and commercial real estate, which is the barrier for a lot of people investing. If you just think about commercial real estate in the U.S. alone, not the world, in the U.S. alone on a valuation basis, if you were able to create a liquid marketplace for commercial real estate, it would be the biggest market in the world, not even close, right? So if you can figure out a way to unlock that value and give more people more opportunity to invest in it, Somebody's going to figure this out, and it's going to be a complete game changer for the industry. The challenge is that the technology, right, smart contracts, blockchain, is there. Like I've I've talked to a lot of VC people, a lot of entrepreneurs who are trying to crack this code, and it's doable. And when they come and pitch me, the, the challenge is the way that things are structured right now, especially from a debt perspective, it's just not workable, right? So I'm not allowed to trade out more than 10% of any position in a property per year, according to Delaware statutory law. Like I just, I can't do more than 10%. 
that's forgetting what my lender would require, right? So I've got my equity investors, call it 60% of the deal. Um, and then I've got 40% of debt, which is with a lender, call it some big bank in New York, right? We're not going to get into kind of the vagaries and the weeds, but that 40% piece, somebody's got a loan on my property. Yep. If I were to say, hey, Mr. Smith wants to trade his interest to Mrs. Smith and they want to swap it out, I've got to go to my lender and I've got to ask them for consent. Even if I pre-negotiate the transfer rights, which we do, you still have to go to them and get consent. And then the lender, because they're highly regulated, has to say, okay, well, I need to know my customer. I need to make sure that it's not money laundering. I need to make sure that they're not a bad actor. Like All of these cascading things have to happen. And it just creates a lot of challenges in terms of time and money. And it's, it's frankly just not workable today, given the restrictions that occur from a debt perspective. Yeah, and, and I, there's a good example that, that I, I talk about quite often. And you know, we watched Olympus Dow, and, and they did a lot of great things right. And, and we saw them go from zero to $3.3 billion in seven months. And then they came right back down at about the same pace. Um, and, and one of the challenges that you have is in this decentralized, um, and a Dow refers to decentralized autonomous organization, not anonymous. A lot of people think that A stands for anonymous, and that's not the case at all. But, but the issue that you have is that if I, Brian, if I come to you right now and say, hey, I, I, I'm, I'm a Dow, I've got $100 million I'd like to deploy into real estate space, you'd be like, that's fabulous. Here's a whole bunch of forms I need you to fill out. I'm going to need to verify. Da, 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 and I'm going to go, no, 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 I'm a Dow. You don't get it. Here's all these tokens. I got 10,000 you know, investors around the world. And you're going to say, thank you so much for your time. I'm not, you're not willing to go to jail for this. And you just kind of have to walk. So a lot of the, the issues that weren't discussed about Olympus Dow and a lot of these other Dows is they, they can't legally or ethically deploy the capital because they don't know where it came from. Um, and, and people self-certifying online or, or you know, doxing, which I think is a silly term, um, to, a, to a Twitter account or something does not count. You have to have full KYC or AML. And there's a few other uh, three-letter yeah, acronyms. OFAC, that, that, yeah. yeah they, oh, yeah. I mean, and, and that will, we'll talk about tornado cash here in a second. So what is, what is in your mind, if you could fix this, because you do understand the problem, what are what's kind of the easy regulatory route that, that that the government could easily take to be able to say, look, people want to tokenize real estate. They want to tokenize the ownership of it. What you know, I'm asking you this on the fly, but what, what's some of the thoughts around that? Yeah, so I mean, I would go to Delaware, which is where most folks create LLCs or they create <coughs> excuse me, limited partnerships, very, very well established uh, a code of law and common law in Delaware. And I would just dupe out the LLC laws and the limited partnership laws and replace them with Dow. Like it's fairly straightforward. It's the analogies are the same. And this is where I get, I, I have get frustrated with people when they say, no, no, you don't understand. It's tokenized real estate. Like, no, I get it. I create single purpose vehicle entity LLCs and there's a schedule one and people's pro rad ownership interests are on that schedule one of the LLC it's a token like that, that interest can be transferred theoretically to anybody from anybody. And you have to go through all these hoops that we just talked about. So I think starting with just understanding that you can just swap out some of the nomenclature because the vehicles are, can, can do, they can function the same way. And just being able to have pre-negotiated safe Harbor provisions for sponsors and GPs like myself Instead of somewhere to say, as long as I do these three, five, 10, 20, 30 things, there's not going to be liability to you as a sponsor of the GP. And these DAO members are going to be good actors and they're going to certify or whatever the process is. That opens up a whole new world. But right now, it just, it's just not workable. And, and nobody's even having that conversation at SEC, FINRA, et cetera. Yeah, and 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 you know now with the the new OFAC rules coming in, and you know the fact that a wallet that just touches, um, you know, tornado cash, and they don't nobody even has to has to actually do it. You can just have your wallet dusted, meaning some a third party drops, you know, a, a, a couple hundred dollars worth of tainted uh, cryptocurrency that came through a, an OFAC now banned protocol means that. 
everything that you touch, um, your entire wallet as well as you, um, are, are now on the OFAC blacklist. And I think that's an absolutely terrifying for the entire industry. But but it has a lot of repercussions of of just showcasing how immature the regulatory bodies are about their understandings of how the space works. Um, and, and again, had we gone back to, to web one versus, versus web three, you know, you, if you went back to web one and say anyone that launches a website, anything that's posted, you know, it, could you imagine if, if Facebook was liable for every single thing that was posted, if Twitter was liable for everything that was posted, it, it, they, they gave them laws and rules and, and regulations of the DMCA and others to say, look, we, we want to give you publishing laws that make sense. We want to say that you are a little different, so here's how we can fit you in and allow you to grow. And and we're just not seeing that in this asset class because, as you said, um, there's certain there's certain uh, counties and, and um, states. You know, Wyoming now has a Dow provision. Um, I Tennessee find, has one. Yeah, I, I can't I can't find a single lawyer that encourages us to actually use it. Um, no. Yeah, and, that, and that's the problem. Is it's like that's great that you you know you made some headlines and created an article. We just haven't seen anyone come forward and, and say, here's how this is really going to work in the real world. And, and that's where I think it's also misunderstanding on the, the crypto Web3 uh, DeFi world, because when they come to me with these solution sets, they don't understand that in, in today working with a traditional lender, be it CMBS, LifeCo, Bank, Credit Union, any investor in one of my deals that's over 10% of the equity, anything. I have to drill down to a warm body. So even if it's a limited partnership held by trust, that is an LLC investing, like they don't care. They're going to want to see driver's license, social security number, address of a warm body of all the ownership interest in that entity that equals more than 10% of my capital stack. So if that's what the traditional lender world is saying, you can imagine the regulatory oversight that would occur with cryptocurrencies participating through a DAO. So I think you've got to look through it through the lens of this of the current real estate landscape and just realize how far apart those two worlds are. And and interestingly, that space since I've been in the business, the the KYC AML OFAC has gotten has gotten more strict. Yeah. Um, and and so you, again, if you take a snapshot of Congress. The bunch of sixty-five-year-old white guys, like they just don't understand this at all, right? And they're the ones directing SEC, FINRA, and these other regulatory oversight bodies. It's just a huge educational disconnect. Yeah, and 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 those and those uh, you know senators and congressmen and everything else. Sometimes not even their fault. They, they there's lobbyists that if you're the lobbyist for for a traditional bank, you're not in any way, shape, or form going to help them understand this. You're not in any way, shape, or form going to help them write legislation. And, and lobbyists do write legislation for senators. They get you know kind of uh, you know they just swap out the letterhead and they go there you go let's push this push this into a law. Um, and so we we just don't have that maturity in our industry yet to help uh, education. The one thing I would say that is encouraging, and obviously this crypto um, um, you know, meltdown and valuation is not helpful. And once the wirehouses and the big banks understand that they can make money on this, they're the ones with the leverage in Washington, right? So once Goldman and JP Morgan and the big publicly traded private equity shops, Blackstone, Brookfield, KKR, etc., Carlisle, once they understand that this opens up a huge new universe of transaction fees, like they're going to be able to push this through. And so I think that's starting to happen. But I mean, you know, we run $600 million of real estate. Nobody cares. Like you need, you need the big 10, 25 big Wall Street banks to get involved. And they're starting to understand crypto and DeFi, I think. And so I think that'll bleed over to more of the traditional private equity real estate um, services they provide. So I'm hopeful that things will change. Yeah, and, and I think this is where we really need to kind of separate out cryptocurrencies from blockchain technologies. Um, cryptocurrency does not apply here. We're going to push that off aside. Like no, no one... No one should be selling a building for a volatile asset like cryptocurrencies. Like we, I watched when people were like, "Oh, I'm selling my house for Bitcoin during the last bull run," um, and literally, like, I'm sure by the time they got to the closing and had all these these contracts that agreed that you know, hey, for two bitcoins, I'll sell you the house, and suddenly the bitcoins has lost eighty percent of its value. Like that's not. 
you know, like I, I'm a, I'm in commercial and residential real estate, the building that we're in, you know, I own. Um, so I'm very familiar with the process and, and what it takes. Um, cryptocurrencies, let's set those aside. The, the, the technology behind blockchain can and should, you know, be, be utilized uh, for things like title, for things like who, you know ownership records and maintenance records and everything around this building. Um, because I guarantee you, you know, Brian, you got six hundred million dollars worth of real estate. You've probably turned that over X number of times over the last decade. Um, you have Dropbox folders and files and random things around your office that the new owners of the building, the potential buyers of those buildings, would simplify the process an immense amount. But there's no reason for you to disclose these things and there's no one's going to come hunt you down and say hey you owned a building five years ago do you mind giving me all your records it's it's a it doesn't work like that yeah and i think the first things that you see change are exactly the ones you referenced right when people say what are signposts to look out for if i could short an industry i would short title insurance and i would short escrow agents because with smart contracts and blockchain technology to your point they're going to become obsolete. And, and frankly, they're, they're terribly inefficient as it is today. And so it's actually, frankly, scary sometimes, some of the things that I see on the transactions that we take, that we uh, um, move forward with. But those are some of the first dominoes that are going to fall. And then hopefully it will give people more comfort and familiar, familiarity with you know, what some of the solutions could be beyond that. But I think those are going to be the first few things that you see happen. Yeah. No. And, 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 you know, the, the core concept around being able to tokenize again and, and tokenizing an asset is not a, a cryptocurrency per se. Um, you're just essentially taking the ownership and, and the records and it makes a lot of sense. I mean, you still need a, a, a management company. You still need all the normal things that are happening. So you don't get to just say, Hey, we tokenized it and now the building just exists and it's going to operate. You still need a, a centralized uh, leadership structure, but the core concept of what's, if we could remove a lot of the regulation, imagine as you're saying, liquidity that that instead of me having to sell the entire building i can take you know a, a, a tens of thousands of investors that that go you know what I, I can put some money in here and i see a good return instead of going to the reits instead of going to some of the other uh vehicles that exist today which are kind of heavy yeah, i mean fractionalized ownership of of assets is nothing new right i mean the the stock market was created in the 17th century by the dutch it was a good idea. It's been adopted everywhere else. I mean, there's no reason that we can't do this. And to your point, I think sponsors and general partners get worried about this type of change and what we're talking about. But they're still going to need somebody to manage the asset. They still need somebody to find the opportunities, negotiate the deals. It's just the, the nature of the ownership, interest, and structures will change. But the business, I don't think, fundamentally will change. Somebody in Topeka who puts $10,000 into my $10 million property does not want to deal with changing the light bulbs, right? I mean, I'm still going to have a job. So, yeah, it's just, it's going to come. It's just a matter of who's going to get it first and it's going to be a total game changer. Yeah, and I, I think when you when you take, let's just pretend that, you know, the building I'm sitting in here has been tokenized and there's, you know, a, a million shares that we, we've distributed. Where it's going to start becoming very interesting is is adding in things like DeFi. Um, being able to, to take loans against your equity in a building um, and generally when you have a building that's fully occupied with, with AAA tenants and a AAA space and everything else, those are fabulous. But and, and mailbox money is like it's everyone's dream. Um, but sometimes you need a liquidity event. Sometimes you're going, hey, I have an opportunity, I have an issue, I need to exit this investment. And there's, you know, if you've got a fully leased up, you know, a, a plus building, there is a line of people. Uh, if you're at, at the right cap rate, that will just throw money at you to get it done. But you're talking; it could be three to six months to be able to exit that building. Like, wh- I mean, what's the fastest you could prop- you could possibly turn a building, Brian? I mean, if it's if it's got CMBS or LifeCo or some kind of complex lender um, yeah. associated with it, probably twelve months. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just, and that's the issue that we're really talking about. For those of you guys yeah. that don't understand real estate, is they're big, heavy assets. You, you I mean, the building I'm in again, I, I've I've got a, a number of uh, properties, but we identified it. And it took eight months to get to close. Cash it was a cash building. There's nothing that I have to do with it. It just takes that much time. All the due diligence you got to go to all the you know and everything else. And so the the core you know thought about having liquidity. Where if I go, you know what, I, I've I've made a good investment. The building's good. Um, we would like to make another investment, and we need a, a down deposit. Being able to sell fifty percent of this building without having to 
go and talk to the banks and everything else. Same management company, same deal, same structure, but you're just swapping out some of the equity in the LLC with with a thousand people that want to throw you some money because they want that return. Not only have we created a problem that that's not okay, but we've also created a security, and that's a whole other problem that we haven't even started talking about yet. Right, and 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 what I often ask with these people who are working on a technology and they're pitching me, it's like, what problem are you solving? Right now, this is the problem in real estate: illiquidity, lack of liquidity, transferring ownership is the biggest challenge of, of the barrier to entry for investors. And what you're describing, I think, is the future. And what's really cool is once you start creating a marketplace that's efficient and liquid and you get real pricing and you can feel comfortable with that pricing, it creates this unbelievable value wheel of new investors that you can engage with, right? Where if if Bill Smith sells to Melissa Smith, well, now you've just met Melissa and she can get to know you, right? And so this is incredible world that could potentially open up to you. And this is where I usually quote this stat. There are 13.3 million accredited investors in America. Less than 3% have ownership in private investments today. I, and, you know, there's so and many... And that's just accredited. That's yeah. like, you, you imagine if you dilute the accreditation requirements into like the truly, like true democratized ownership... Yeah. It's it'd be incredible. You know, the other th- side of this, and you bring it up, is is we're only talking about accredited investors. So you already have to, you, your starting line is is vastly more than anyone else has access to. And so if we're talking about, you know, there's there's all these talks of, you know, equality and, and, and you know, diversity and investments and, and all these other things. Um, somebody could have a thousand dollars and you know, that thousand dollars, if it's a tokenized investment, it should be treated no differently than any of the accredited investors that have put it in. You know, you have to disclose and everything else. Um, but, but the core difference be- behind a tokenized real estate investment and somebody going on Coinbase and putting a thousand dollars into one of those coins is, um, it's a huge difference. You know, you, you have bought an asset that is physical and it's there. And even, even if there's a market crash, it's never going to go to zero. Because it's insured, it has you know there is there is value, and I think that that's the biggest thing is that if you could you know if we could major wave our magic wand and, and get past the security issue, get past the, the kind of uh, it's not there's no technology issues we can absolutely build this today, but get past the regulatory issues. I mean, think of all the people that have made some horrible investments into shit coins over over the last you know just just. 18 months and during the last bull run, had they put that into tokenized real estates, um, might they be down a little bit? Sure. Um, just from the hype and everything else, but they're getting dividends, you know, on a, on a, you know, monthly or annual basis. Yeah. And it, so a comment I'll make, and then I want to kind of extrapolate that is what you were talking about in terms of like accessibility and, and accreditation. I mean, you're seeing this play out with the big private equity groups. They understand that the future is this democratized, fractionalized ownership, right? And it, it's all kind of coming. But you can imagine a world where, you know, to your point, $1,000, $100, and you can participate in this wealth creation that, frankly, Solves a big problem today, which is access to to housing for a lot of people, which is the number one vehicle for wealth creation in America today. It doesn't take care of all of it, but it sure helps start that process for a lot of people that, I mean, the average home in in Nashville today is $450,000 average, right? So it's just out of reach for a lot of people. And so again, you can get this exposure low, low barriers to entry. And another point I'll make is these things all seem to be impossible until they're inevitable. Yep. And when people ask me about technology and real estate, which is a very old line industry, when I started this business 10 years ago, I was manually sending emails out to investors. I was having phone calls to tell them about what the financial statements look like on any given property. Today, my business looks like a tech company that happens to have a real estate product because we're using Juniper Square as an investor relations portal. We're using HubSpot as a CRM, Dropbox to send out uh, DocuSign. I mean, it's fundamentally changed the way that I can scale the business efficiently. And it's been, it's been 
completely groundbreaking. If you were to, if I were to have this, we didn't even have Riverside or Zoom or whatever, but 10 years ago, I just couldn't have done this business. It was just was too analog. It was too manual. It was too time consuming. And now it's allowed us to, to completely change. And so I do think that it's frustrating and it will take time. But then once it happens and once you get that adoption, it goes really, really fast where now those things that I just mentioned, if you want to be a top tier sponsor in the US, those are table stakes. Like you just have to have that tech stack at the ready because the consumer demands it. You know, and here's the other thing that we haven't even touched on, which is, you know, trust verif- verification um, and, and historical data. Because I'm going to be clear, and, and you, know, you work with a lot of different agents and brokerages and, and investors over time. Not everyone's great. Um, not every experience is fabulous. And, and if all that you have is the data on, you know, Yelp or, or a variety of, you know, Google type reviews, you're seeing, you're not, you're honestly seeing nothing. Um, there is deals that, that people spend, um, I, I just sold a building to Tesla. Um, and let me tell you, it was, I, am so thrilled that they bought it. it. It was absolutely, um, great that it closed. It took them an extra 12 months beyond when their contract should have expired that I had to do extensions to get them done. Um, they, you know, think of, think of, uh, just all the different things that happen during a transaction as well as the returns that some investors get there. You can verify all that on chain. And if you're saying, I want to go into a REIT, I want to go to this right now. All you have is the stats that they publish. There's nowhere for you to go to verify these. Putting this stuff on chain would create a much safer, um, and more secure kind of environment of trust for investors as well, as well as buyers and sellers. Yeah. I mean, if you use uh, again to, to, to use my business as an example, we used to send distributions via check, like snail mail check, right? Horribly inefficient, terrible for me as a sponsor, awful for my investors because if they have multiple homes or they just don't get the check or they forget to cash it, then I've got to cancel it and reissue it. It's a bookkeeping nightmare. Now it's ACH, right? 15th of the month, boom. You sa- I get a text notification to my investors, hey, you know, Beth, money's in the account. Check your Juniper Square account. Thank you so much via ACH. Done, right? Yep. Better for them, better for me. And that's just, you can imagine taking that to 100x level in terms of that communication, that investor experience, that journey that could go on to be to leverage technology and automation and third parties. Again, it's really exciting. You just have to put up with a lot of brain damage to get there, but I think it's going to come. What do you so we we've talked a lot about real estate, but I mean this can the same thing can happen for any any investable um, or purchasable asset. I mean, we I talk to people about cars, watches, wine, you, you, you name it. Um, companies. I mean, the the idea of the stock exchange, um, which is really the reason that I moved uh, from 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 trading stocks uh, in, into blockchain, is because at least there's no numbers. Like there actually is no accountability for how many shares are being distributed and traded on every on any given day. They're just guessing. They're you know they can they can audit and go back and forth with it, but really watching what happened with GameStop. Where they go, wait, there's there's like 80% more shares being traded that has ever been issued and existed, and we don't know who has what. Um, is what brought me over to this verifiable um, you know, blockchain. <laughs> Let's be clear, we got plenty of issues <laughs> over in blockchain uh, crypto world. But but that's this core concept is that we know where every share is. We know where the title is. How do you think that this is going to, again, is it going to be real estate? Is it going to be the first one, or we're going to see a different asset class kind of you know kind of trailblaze that maybe has a little less regulation around it? God, it's a great question. I mean, I'm so heads down on the real estate space. I think, like most things, um, you'll see it play out residentially first, and then it'll get adopted by the commercial world. Um, but I, I do think that you know if you look at <laughs> something like uh, so, if you look at fee compression, right? Mm-hmm. If you look at this, the concept of Zillow and some of the other groups trying to disintermediate the realtor world, taking 3%, repping the buyer, taking 3%, repping the seller, creating a marketplace, frictionless transactions, costs go down, better for the consumer. All this is a trend that's not stopping anytime soon, right? I mean, technology, a bunch of really smart people in Silicon Valley wake up every morning and they try to think, okay, how can I make things cheaper, easier, and faster? Right. And real estate's pushing back on it because it's old school, but it's all coming. And ultimately, it's going to be better for the investor. 
Yeah, transparency is is I mean it's one of the biggest things. And you know when you have something that's verifiable on chain, you know such as what is Excelsior's you know returns, and and somebody could extrapolate that data because we you know they could see. Um, obviously, you're not going to disclose who your investors are and everything else, but but you know being able to verify and validate um, the ownership of these of these projects and these titles and see kind of how you know you would have your own smart contracts running for each SPV that you you did and, and understanding the money's flowing in, money's flowing out. Here's how everything's paid. You know, how do you how do you see? Do you have to rebuild your business to to be able to manage in that? Like, are you going to have to say like we have a blockchain division to manage the smart contracts? We have to have you know all this different tech, or do you or do you think that you could live in a trust a trusted world where you have third party people making a smart contracts? That are that are managing for you hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, you know that's just what your 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 uh, your portfolio is. That doesn't account for all the money flowing back and forth through. I mean, do you do you see a technology issue of needing to have you know every you, you've got a uh, like the title companies would have to change. I, I think I think there'll be there'll be a number of, a small number of trusted third party service providers that can solve this problem. Right, just like. Juniper Square, which is a, a best in breed investor relations platform, a white label product where 24-7, 365 investor relations portal, where it just says Excelsior Capital, but we're just in front facing. And anybody anywhere at any time on their phone or, or computer can access their financials, historical documents, K1s. Like that that, that is going to take place for all these other problems within the ecosystem because it's not it's not reasonable, nor is it achievable for me to be in the cybersecurity, software engineering, coding business, right? That's just not who we are. It's not what we do. We can't afford to do it, nor do we want to do it. So I think you're going to start seeing solutions come to market that everyone feels comfortable with. Because ultimately, to your point, real estate, especially especially now in today's world, where I don't always meet the, my investors in person, there has to be that level of trust. And I think as long as the ecosystem continues to grow and the sponsors are, are vetting these solutions and we feel good about the technology, I, I think it can be outsourced to third parties. And I think that's, that's really um, important to know that, again... The technology is still changing so bit, and so you're you're very familiar with with the various chains and protocols and you know NFTs and everything else. And I, I keep seeing, you know, people going, "Oh, we've we've turned uh, this title into an NFT. We've we've turned, you know, this 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 payment structure into a, 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 a um, you know, a smart contract or whatever the case is. And you know, look, we've got you know ten million dollars under assets." I don't believe any of this can happen unless you have true unification of some of the big players in the game. Like you have to entirely just eliminate the MLS and everything around it for blockchain to be meaningful. Otherwise, could you imagine if somebody came to you and goes, "Oh yeah, don't worry about the title. It's 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 on uh, you know, I I wrote that over on Cardano." You'd be like, "What? <laughs> what, do you, what do you mean? Where do I how do I even deal with this?" Well, and and that to use the analogy of today's world, right? There are there are three or four big title insurance companies. They, you know, you've got Republic, you've got Chicago, Chicago, you've got National, and they're all recognized by the lenders, right? So when the lender goes through their checklist, okay, who do you want to use for title? And you say, yeah, we're going to use Chicago. Okay, that works. Oh, what about insurance? Oh, we're going to use this. We're going to use Chubb or you know Aon. Okay, that works. So well, to go back to the beginning of our conversation, it's going to start with the lender side. Right, commercial real estate. The reason it's a beautiful thing is because it acts as collateral and it can be leveraged. Now you need the banks to get comfortable with all of these third-party providers, and that's where I wish some of these title insurance companies or insurance providers would be more tech-oriented and tech-focused because they could be market leaders. They could be market makers if they were to adopt them early. I'm just afraid that they're going to sit around and wait. And and, and this is if somebody's listening who's an entrepreneur. Like this is a great mousetrap to, to start because it's a huge marketplace. You just have to get there with the lender community. And once they sign off, I think that this mass adoption will occur. Yeah. I don't think that anyone's ever put the you know traditional banking and bleeding edge technology in the same sentence together, um, yeah. considering most of them are still running on the SWIFT system, which is 
and for anyone who doesn't understand the Swift system, is actually majority run on 56K modems. Um, like they just do not upgrade technology. And so I, I, I see this being the future. Um, I just, I, I'm not long on the U.S. being the ones that pioneer it. I think we'll probably see it in some other foreign country because there's there's a lot of, you know, Caribbean islands and, and um, you know, very well to do. I mean, just because you're a Caribbean island does not mean that you're, you're poor um, or don't have a, a, a great infrastructure. And I see a lot of them that don't have anything like the MLS or don't have anything um, like, like verifiable title saying this is a solution we can adopt and then it, it will grow outside. And I think that's that's really the failure of the United States is to not come and say, this is the future. This fixes a problem. The Swift system is massively broken, and, and it's designed. Call my small rant. It's designed to collect taxes. The reason why there's so many checkpoints is they want to make sure they know who's on point A, who's on point B, and if there's any taxes that need to be collected for payroll or for anything else, that there's easy stop gaps to grab that as it goes through the system. There's clearly a bifurcation in this space, and I can completely agree with you. If you look at, you know, what's happening with kind of. Um, Finance, for example, going off grid, off US, like what's happening in Southeast Asia, massive amounts of entrepreneurship and innovation. And then what's happening with like Gemini, which is trying to play by the rules, play nice with with Wall Street and, and DC. And you look at their growth trajectories, most of the innovation is going to be occurring offshore. And then once the US realizes they're losing tax revenue and fees, it'll be adopted domestically. But it's going to be this huge bifurcation between domestic and international. I completely agree. So one thing I, I, I talk about quite often that I think would would instantly dynamically change the cryptocurrency market in the United States, and I think that it's it's not a, a far stretch because you're very familiar with the 1031 exchange. And without the 1031 exchange, I, I don't believe the real estate market would be at the valuation it is today. Um, it incentivizes people to to continue to invest. It, it incentivizes people to to um, you know buy more buildings or continue to invest in an asset class. And I think that when you know you're looking at every time you you sell a cryptocurrency, it's a taxable event. Even if you take you bought Bitcoin and moved it to Ethereum, or you moved literally technically, if you move from Ethereum to wrapped Ethereum, it's a taxable event. And I I, I just feel like there's a much better way to do this. Yeah, I mean, you teed me up really well on this. So when when I pitch real estate, most of the Wall Street or you know um, stock guys will say, "Don't fight the Fed," right? And we're going to find out tomorrow when when Powell and all these guys talk in Jackson Hole. But don't fight the Fed. When I talk to taxable investors, like U.S. domestic taxable high net worth individuals and families, I say, "Don't fight the IRS." And if you look at the tax code, and again, I got a C in basic federal income tax, but bear with me here. If you look at the tax code, it's a set of incentives and disincentives to encourage or discourage certain behavior. And when you look at it holistically, it is very much trying to get you to get married, have children, own your own home, and buy commercial real estate. Because it is the most tax efficient thing in the world that you could possibly invest in in the U.S., it's when you look at the cost segregation analysis, bonus depreciation, ability to, to 1031 the assets and, and defer taxes indefinitely, it's incredible if you want to talk about a multi-generational wealth creation vehicle. Nothing comes close. Yeah, and, and, and that's the thing that... that <clears throat> There's nothing today that exists. <clears throat> it REITs. I don't. I don't care. And there's a lot of people that run incredibly good, you know, REITs and and a variety, there's a you could rattle off a dozen other investment vehicles like this, but it doesn't do anything for the person that's got a thousand dollars to invest. It doesn't do anything for that for the for the all these this this entire generation of people that's coming up that they're being forced into. I hate to say it, gambling in the stock market, gambling on cryptocurrencies when there's actually solid investments that they could they could make easily from their phone. I mean, you know, a Robin Hood like experience to say, I, I just want to put some money in, in things that have a nine cap rate. It doesn't have to be crazy. At, you know, I, I want to put money into to Walgreens invest, you know, inv- investment properties, which is a standard thing that accredited investors can do. I can right now go buy into Walgreens REITs. Um, it's a very safe, very boring investment. And when I'm done, I don't have to pay taxes on it because I can 1031 it into, you know, a, a CVS uh, REIT if I, if I so choose. I mean, we work with investors with some families who um, have 1031 an asset. We did one recently. I think they bought it 75 years ago. Zero basis. 
We're talking $10 million, $20 million, $30 million of zero basis real estate. And they just kept exchanging it over and over and over again. And it's incredible what that duration and compound return will achieve for you. And I, I agree with you. And, and to go back to my business, my minimums used to be $250,000. My minimum now is 50000 because bookkeeping and accounting, distributions, technologies allowed me to, to have that lower barrier to entry because it's not as painful as it used to be. But you can imagine if you take the technology the next step and you incorporate DeFi and blockchain, there's no reason to have a minimum period, right? It's, it's just a, an accounting um, exercise that can be done very easily on the chain. So again, we've come a long way. But to your point, there's there's a long way to go. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and so, what are your other thoughts? I mean, you, you've I, I've I've teed you up as much as I possibly could during this <laughs> yeah. thing. But there's a lot of things that you're seeing. What what are some of the areas that that an active investor should be thinking about um, or hoping for to see this merge of, of blockchain and um, uh, and, and um, physical real world assets? Yeah, so th- this kind of brings me back to, uh, and this is very in the moment, right? We're recording this in August of 2022. There's war in Europe. Um, there's a lot of political tension domestically. Um, if you look at the world in terms of Europe, Asia, with happening in China, some of the political dislocations in South America, if you, if you take a step back and think, okay, well, how did some of these families endure in Europe for 250, 350, 500 years? There's an adage there that they split their assets into a third, a third, a third. So a third real estate, a third art, and a third gold. Because real estate has appreciation, it has very good ownership, history, etc. is a good way to kind of store value. Obviously, gold and art are transportable. And again, there's appreciation there. So I think you can use that as an analogy. Okay, given this chaos, like where should I be deploying my capital? How should I asset allocate and how should I think about my investments? I think there are modern corollaries to all of those three things. And so what you're seeing happen with like the art space, right? How you can have this fractionalized ownership of art. Obviously, I don't believe that cryptocurrencies are digital gold, but there are digital assets that do behave like gold in many ways, right? And, and I don't think it's a crazy analogy to draw. I just don't think it's as tight as people want it to be. And then again, with crowdfunding and the Obama Act, Jobs Act that occurred with real estate, those are things that I'm all like tracking, right? And it's coming to private equity as well. And this theme of democratization of access to assets and exposure and this moat that Wall Street has put up around these things for the last 25, 35 years is being torn down. And I think that's really good for a lot of investors and so those are things that I'm tracking. Those are the big thematic changes that I'm seeing. And I think it's all for the good. It's just going to be a little messy before we kind of all get comfortable with it. Have you seen a cool, any, any cool projects of which that you're like, if this worked, this would be amazing? Or, or what are your thoughts on kind of uh, what you've seen in the last kind of 60, 90 days? Yeah, you, you know, I, I'd go back to, to repeat our, our previous conversation. There are some really cool prop tech solutions out there that are trying to solve for this liquidity challenge and create a true secondary marketplace of investors. Um, and if you think about it, in my world, there's, there's qualified purchasers, there's accredited investors, and there are unaccredited investors. You're starting to see solution sets for qualified purchasers, right? institutional investors that can go and, and trade their stake in either a GP or an LP structure or a given deal because it's a smaller universe. But once people get comfortable there and there's a true marketplace, we'll be able to dupe that out for accredited investors and then unaccredited investors. And so there are a couple of firms doing some very cool things there. Um, again, the hurdles are going to be on the debt side. So, you know, unfortunately, I don't have anything that like immediately pops to mind, but these big thematic changes, they're happening more and more. And, and you're seeing more and more people try to tackle the problem. And I just love tech solutions that actually do solve a true problem. And this is the biggest problem in real estate for sure. It, do you think DeFi is going to solve the problem? Do you think at some point we're going to get to the point where the lenders just, they're never going to come over. They're not going to agree with this, that, that there are, there will just be DeFi pools and the tokenization that just goes, yeah, there's, there's a trillion dollars now available 
for real world asset um, lending. Hundred percent. Yes, I do think I do think it will happen. Um, and I and again, I read some stat that once a country adopts five percent electric vehicle ownership, it, it flips over and it's just considered like mass adoption and it occurs really quickly. I think it's going to be horrible for five or ten years. But then once we kind of go over the cliff and, and get over that, it's going to spread like wildfire. And, and I, I do I do truly believe it because if you think about the transaction costs and the friction costs and the fees involved, and if you can speed up those transactions, mm-hmm. be it on the acquisition side, be it on the fundraising side, holistically what you're seeing happen is these tech solutions, these third-party providers – they're starting to see this bigger ecosystem picture of, gosh, if I can help the sponsor raise capital, then I can help them find deals. If I can help them find deals, I can help them source debt. If I can help them source debt, I can help them source equity. And you've got everything, like the whole 360 picture. And that's very exciting, right? Because it just means more transactions, more accessibility. And, and like it's all coming. I just don't know who's going to get there first. I don't, I don't know, Brian. What, you're bored. I'm bored. We got nothing to do. Let's just go ahead and build this out. I got. I got. Yeah. A de- I got a decade to make it happen. We'll get a. We'll get, we got. I think we got Steve on the line. He'll make. He'll make it work. We'll we'll get a couple of beers and go to a Blues game, and we'll hash this out. It'll be good. Hey, let's we'll do it. That's perfect. Hey, okay. Brian, real quick as we round up, um, you've got a podcast. There's a lot. You got webinars. You're doing so many things. Go go ahead and uh, plug how people can find more about what you and, and Excelsior are doing. Yeah, I appreciate that. I'm super active on LinkedIn, so just look up Brian C. Adams, Excelsior Capital, connect with me, shoot me a note. I'd love to spend some time getting to know you. And then you can go to the website, ExcelsiorGP.com. And to your point, we have a lot of resources there. So we have a podcast, um, we do webinars, we create blogs, we do white papers, we do a lot of collaborative content to help educate people, especially within the kind of peer-to-peer affinity networking for other investors. So please reach out and let us know how we can help. No, I, again, happy to promote anyone that's really helping us move things forward and wanting to understand the technology. Um, and really excited to, to kind of keep in touch and have you in the community as as uh, we trailblaze over the next few decades and, and see where this is. I mean, there's there was a time when people said, oh my God, why would you ever put your credit card into into a website? You're, that's insane. Um, and now it's standard commonplace. And, and at some point, people are going to be like, oh my God, you have to go to the courthouse to, to, do, to get title? Like, why would you do that? It's not on chain already. And it's just going to be this conversion event that's going to happen and I'm excited to see it um, and, and really excited to kind of keep keep talking about where this is going and how long it's going to take. So thank you for coming by. Thanks for having me. Why Wells? We'll catch you later, man. This is Excelsior Capital, Brian, and a really uh, engaging conversation. So thank you, sir. Why Wales was founded in 2021 by Jay Steinbeck, a passionate entrepreneur and business owner with the purpose of bringing YPO and YNG members together in the cryptoverse. Why Wales is a collaborative and confidential community centered around cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology, an exclusive crypto hub of more than 600 members. To be notified when we release new content, please subscribe to our show in your preferred listening app. For more information, visit www.ywhales.com. YWales is not affiliated with YPO, but at this time only allow for YPO, YPO Gold, and YNG members due to privacy and confidentiality. Support and production for today's episode was done by Truthwork Media. Nothing in the podcast constitutes professional and or financial advice, nor does any information on the podcast constitute a comprehensive or complete statement of the matters discussed or the law relating thereto.